Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Powell, and welcome to Hire the Smile. And as usual, I am joined by Katie Arline. Good morning, Katie. How are you? Michael, I'm fine, thank you. How, how's life? What's new and exciting? Uh, I mean, it's it's obvious that winter is coming again this year. I was hoping okay. maybe it wouldn't, but uh, at least it's sunny out today. So, you know, it could be worse. Yeah, you're right. It is. Stop I haven't looked raining. outside yet today. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, sort of in the theme that we had in the last podcast where we went over a bunch of different articles, we're sort of going to do the same thing today because we were slacking each other rather of like, what do we want to discuss? And independent of each other, I think we sort of had the same idea of just talking about the great resignation and why people are doing so. And so the great resignation, I guess, you know, if you're looking at the media, I'll be honest, I don't know if this is happening in the EU, but I think it's primarily an American USA problem to a lesser degree in Canada, but I still think it's happening. But basically, it's just, it seems like everybody is leaving their jobs or going somewhere else, going back to school, getting different careers, not going back to the workforce. So why why does this subject intrigue you, Katie? Uh, I think because this is a podcast about HR. <laughs> just kidding. I think just because something that we're definitely seeing, I mean, not necessarily a great resignation, but definitely a staff shortage in veterinary medicine, definitely. And I think it's always interesting to to look at trends and, and try and figure out why people are leaving and, you know, obviously try and get out in front of it and figure out what we can do to stop those rates of attrition. Yeah. Yeah. So what I thought we'd do is we sort of would start discussing what's happening in one study in the vet profession and then look at other professions and seeing um, if there's anything we can learn about how to address staff leaving so mm-hmm. and staff shortages. So our first article is from the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association dated September 15th, 2021. And the title is, Are We in a Veterinary Workforce Crisis? Mm-hmm. understanding our reality can guide us to a solution. There is a plethora of interesting data in here. And what I like about this data is that it questions some of the assumptions that demand has picked up that were just swamped. And yes, we are swamped. And I, I'd invite people to go and have a look at it because you know we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about it. But what I found fascinating is that it really upends a lot of the assumptions and that mm-hmm. demand is up less than we think, but really our challenge is we're much less productive and we're seeing fewer patients. A lot of that is curbside pickup. So we're just, you know, it said productivity declined by almost 25% in 2020 because of the pandemic. 
And so if we have the same amount of staff, but because we're having to do curbside pickup or it's taking longer for us to do appointments, we can't do as much. We're not as, as an efficient machines as we used to be. And so I'd invite people to read the article and understand why. But what I found interesting was a, there's a chart there, high veterinary turnover hits the efficiency hard. And so what they did is look at DVMs and they looked at MDs and they looked at veterinary registered or certified veterinary technicians and looked at registered nurses. And the DVM turnover rate is two times that of MDs. And the technician turnover rate is higher than registered nurses. So this sort of shows that our uh, assumptions about what's happening within our profession, about people leaving their jobs, is true. And it's hitting us disproportionately compared to other healthcare professionals. Much higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like I said, DVMs are like 15% turnover rate, which is incredibly high. Whereas physicians are like, it looks like about 7%. And there's a 25% turnover of veterinary technicians compared to, it looks like about 18% for nurses. So if you're losing a quarter, or if the profession is losing a quarter of our technicians mm-hmm. or 15% of our vets uh, to other jobs or to other things, that's tough. I was talking to a colleague of ours, a veterinarian, and she is so exasperated. Like She seriously is saying, you know what? I might as well just quit and go get a job delivering for FedEx or work in an Amazon warehouse. I'll make a lot less money, but I'll have a lot, lot, lot less headaches and stress, and I'll probably have a happier life. Yeah. Just before you move on, I, I wonder how many of that, those DVM numbers are related to people leaving or being lured by uh, corporate jobs. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's some of it. So, I mean, the turnover is 15% leaving practices, which means they go to other practices. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a great reshuffling. But mm-hmm. what it tells you is that usually in these reshufflings, there are winners and losers. And so uh, to your point, which is a great point, that if corporate groups are offering higher wages, for yeah. example, or signing bonuses, yeah, people may leave what they think is a dead-end job or a discouraging job now to go to that, we have a limited supply of veterinarians. That's a problem. It's, you know, it's easier to create Amazon workers or other positions in the economy, in general economy. So if there's a finite amount of veterinarians but an increasing demand, they're going somewhere, which means somebody is losing out on this. Mm-hmm. So I think what we'll be talking about is that money is important, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. So. You have some data about uh, from Canada on why people are leaving their jobs. So when I look at Canada, I don't think it's much different from Europe or you know North America in general. Uh, I think for some of the statistics, it looks like I don't know. Yeah, so here's some data that I found, and it's on uh, Newswire.ca, but the actual data is from Robert Half, who uh, they essentially are a staffing firm, but they also do really, really great in-depth surveys. So this research is plucked from their 2022 salary guide, uh, which you can download and we'll put a link. If you're an HR nerd, it's really, really interesting stuff. But they talk about what it is that people are, are saying is important to them in jobs these days, like in the last year. Uh, so the the key trends that they're saying that employers should look at are uh, first one being employees feel underpaid. So half of workers 
50% think they're earning less than they deserve. Uh, with millennials and women uh, at around 55, 56% feeling most likely to be shortchanged. So I think, you know, we've talked about the importance of paying staff properly, and we'll talk about it more in this podcast, but I think that that's a huge thing because a lot of the time we say, well, you know, it's not just about the money and, you know, it's the opportunities that we give people. And well, I think that that is true to a certain extent. If people aren't fundamentally feeling like they're getting paid a fair wage for what they're giving to their employer, then that's a serious problem. So 50%, it's huge. Whether somebody knows that they're getting paid less than the comparable role, I mean, that's hard to say. But when the media is just talking about how Amazon is paying so much, other, you know, I know there's other shipping companies that are courier companies that are paying top wage. It's just so common in the media. I think people just think, well, if those wages are going up, why isn't my salary? Mm-hmm. I think it's justified for sure. Yeah. So the second factor that you talk about in the second trend related to the first, workers may walk without a bump in pay. So nearly one in five employees would consider quitting their job if they don't get a raise by year's end. And I don't know if this, this is this year, they're talking 2022, honestly, uh, but that's a significant amount of people. Uh, and I think this could also be uh, exasperated by the fact that there were a lot of freezes on wage increases uh, going back to 2020 when we didn't really know what was going on with COVID. Obviously, a lot of markets were shrinking, a lot of businesses had to cut back hours, et cetera. But I think when employees see, you know, especially in veterinary medicine, that they're overbooked and the practice seems to be not hurting for patients and then they don't get a raise. Obviously, that's going to have them ask questions and definitely see that in other industries as well. You know, it's not just the bump in pay, but it's that continued discussion about development and about what do I have to do to make more money, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of that was sort of left in the dust for better, for worse in the last 18 months because we were in survival mode, but we can't just assume that that's how it's going to be forever. If you're in a vet profession, you're a support staff veterinarian, and you know how other industries have suffered, but yet our profession has flourished mm-hmm. and there isn't any kind of appreciation acknowledgement because of that financial. Yeah, I could see why people would want to get a bit upset. Yeah. Totally. So the third trend uh, is in-demand roles are commanding top dollar. So employers need to pay competitively and be willing to negotiate secure highly sought after talents. Uh, and relevant to our industry and, you know, talking about corporate and and the fight for talent. In addition, 35% of employers are offering signing bonuses to entice new hires. I would say this is in line with the trends that we're seeing, particularly with veterinary salaries uh, in the last couple of years. You know, I'm working on salary um, wage band uh, adjustments for a couple of the clients that we work for and we're seeing, and some of them are saying, oh yeah, seeing, you know, people are, are wanting way more money, like a new veterinary editor of school wants way more money than they did in the past. And some don't know. So I think it's important for, for people to be aware that that's what's happening, you know, even for folks who maybe haven't even done an internship, and they're just out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you seeing that too with support stuff? I mean, I don't know about signing bonuses necessarily. Uh, but definitely, you know, for, uh, I would say yes, for everybody, you know, for reception staff that's skilled for RBT or other support staff, I would definitely say yes. People have so much choice for where they want to go work. So, I mean, 
obviously, and as we all know, the wage is only part of it. But, you know, sometimes that's the most obvious thing for somebody. And especially if they don't know about your culture, they don't really know how well they're going to fit in. They're going to want top dollar. Uh, And I don't blame them for it. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because we talk a lot about developing a great culture. And but I think a lot of us, you know, I know a lot of practices have great cultures and they're great places to work. But I, I think Many of us do a poor job promoting that. Mm-hmm. And just like we'll, you know, we'll go online or we'll do any kind of promotional campaigns to promote our veterinary services. I think we have to do the same thing with our work environment in terms of how we're going to attract new people and really highlight how great our workplace is. I just noticed this morning I was just cruising around on Facebook and, and a friend of ours has a practice in the States and you know, she's like posting a job and the first line that she has there is come and join a non-toxic workplace. Like, mm-hmm. way to put it out there right in front. And uh, that'll get somebody's attention. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, people have so much choice. And again, this really underlines how important it is to have that healthy culture, at least be working, have an awareness of what that means, you know, and have that management in place and leadership in place to really set an example, even if it's not really overt, but really uh, just being good human beings and being adults and being respectful of each other. Yeah sort of the flip side of what you're talking about, you know, in terms of what people want. And yes, money is important and everybody needs to be paid what the market is paying for a specific role. But then we're talking about culture. So there's a recent Harvard Business Review article that just came out a couple of days ago. Uh, It's called Forget Flexibility, Your Employees Want Autonomy. And it's by uh, Holger Reisinger and Dana Federer, uh, dated October 29th, 2021. Now, a lot of this is related to people who are working from home or the hybrid work environment, which is kind of impossible to do in the vet profession because we need to be on site or at clients' places to do our vet work, save if you did telemedicine, which you can do anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But You know what? I thought this was good for us because in the vet profession, our experience, veterinarians, veterinary practice owners, we're very particular people. We tend, I think we veer towards the micromanagement. And I understand why we are like that because when we're doing medical procedures, medical diagnostics, medical therapies, a slightest error can make huge mistakes. But also, the nature of people who go into vet school in the vet profession are highly disciplined, they get stuff done, and it's often easier for them to do it than than to train or let others do it. And and so I think with that in mind, this whole article is talking about they want flexibility by way of autonomy. And I think flexibility in this article with a hybrid workforce is just, hey, I want the flexibility to work a few days at home and I'll go into work when I want to, or I think it's important. But I think it's the autonomy factor that I think is so, so uh, critical. You know, they talk about the big theories behind that is so in in 1985, two American psychologists, Richard Ryan and Edward Detchy, developed what they call the self-determination theory, which is sort of what is the main driver of motivations in people. And uh, really what they looked at is autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So autonomy is being able to make decisions on your own, not having somebody over you all the time, second guessing what you're doing, uh, people having trust in what you're doing so you can make your decisions, you know, competence is being, you know, the ability to be very good at something. 
and relatedness, which is being part of a community or having a purpose. And that is easy in vet medicine because we're taking care of animals and that's a great noble purpose. And we all get that. But where we see a lot of people get frustrated uh, when we do a lot of employee engagement surveys, and we've been, you've been doing a lot lately, is the lack of autonomy or the uh, lack of ability to let people develop competence. Those are common themes. Mm-hmm. Would you think so? Definitely. Or am, I reading too, or am I reading too much into it? No, you're reading into my article that I'm talking about next. But uh, it's called yeah. a segue, Katie. It's a segue. <laughs> no, definitely. I think you know when whenever we talk to people about, or you know, I talk to people when I do the the in depth surveys, or when they're bringing up things in the surveys themselves, it definitely comes up again and again, and always, like you said, uh, intertwined with that idea of micromanagement. And you know, I feel like I'm not allowed to sort of make my own decisions. I'm not allowed to develop or I don't know what opportunities are there for me to develop. It's definitely a sticking point that comes out from people. And, you know, I, when I read this article initially, I was thinking, you know, like what, even, you know, the, the idea of autonomy and figuring out how you want to work and when, you know, how we can fit that into vet practice to give people or, you know, what that looks like for vet practice. I think it's really important to dig down and see what, what it is that people value. But like you said, I think it's that ability to be an autonomous worker and to be able to have the to feel like you have the trust to do what needs to be done in a way that everybody's happy with, I think is is something that's so important. So one of the things I thought was really interesting, they they have the, you know, the concluding section of three steps to enabling anatomy. And they say hybrid work, but I think this is applicable to any kind of jobs. Is number one, establish principles, not policies. Don't mm. have such a detailed policy manual that yeah um, there's really a very narrow road that anybody can go down before they fall off and so i mean having the guiding principles of the practice this is like what we want to do is i think much better than you shall not do this and you shall do that yeah i think it's hard it's difficult you know to you know i'm thinking of folks that we've worked with and in the past and for whatever reason you know, some people had had worked from home for during COVID times, but the practices might not necessarily have that that understanding of what's expected in place beforehand. And like you said, it's not, I mean, the thicker your employee manual and the more intricate, you know, you can do this if it's like, you know, sunny and there's a wind of 10 kilometers an hour on a Wednesday, like that's just not realistic. But if people understand what the general expectations are and you know the people well enough to know that, yeah, if they're working from home, they're actually working then it, it can be wonderful. But otherwise, it can be hard to to extend that, I don't know if I could call it privilege of autonomy, uh, without knowing if people are going to be doing their laundry and cooking dinner all day long when they yeah. should be working. And then the second item is invest in competence and relatedness. And I'll let you talk about competence uh, in the next article. But I, I found with the whole autonomy and a in the province of Ontario, where we live in Canada, there's just been new legislation that's been introduced that is the right to disconnect legislation. Mm-hmm. And that is that, you know, after hours, you know, you sort of can't ask people to do work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know France has had that for several years and that it's actually illegal for employers to contact employees after hours. And I think that kind of you know, lack of, I think this is good for us because I think it's so hard for us to disconnect. I think a lot of the 
when I see people in, in other practices that we work with, uh, you know, communicating with staff after hours is how do these people disconnect from work? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when you step back and go, so what would happen if you didn't communicate with people after hours? How did this work in all of the years when we didn't have an easy way to communicate with people after hours? Exactly. <laughs> like, it happened, like, you know, the world evolved. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think these are the kind of policies that are, are, are happening anyhow, and not all of them are bad. No. And I think on a, it just, just sort of peaked a memory from here, tweaked a memory of when we had uh, Toba, Dr. Caldwell, on a couple of those podcasts, our podcasts about burnout. And the one statistic that really uh, stood out for me, you know, the, the fact that the more available a veterinarian is, uh, the higher the the client satisfaction is, but the mm-hmm. lower the vet's mental health score is. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. You know, yeah, they might be doing everything they can for their clients, but at what long-term cost for themselves? Exactly. It's really important for managers and for owners to keep that in mind when they're yeah. considering setting an example of communication outside of hours. I think it's so easy, you know, between texting, you don't have to call people, between texting and email and Slack, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, I have a thought. I'm just going to reach out to somebody. Especially when a lot of the time, smaller practices might not have their own internal email, you know, so yeah. people, are, people are getting emailed on their personal email and they really don't have a way to, to filter that stuff out. It's kind yeah. of unfair. Well, I learned something about this years ago because, you know, I'd be working on the weekend as a business owner. I have some mm-hmm. ideas and I would email people. Mm-hmm. And I would say, uh, I don't expect you to return, but at the same time, it's on their email. And they're like, yeah. oh, the, bo- the boss has emailed me, so I- I've got to pay attention to it. And no matter how much I said, please don't respond to this, they they would by reflex. And I was just like, do not, e-. and I sort of taught myself, do not email on the weekends. Yeah. Don't email after hours because the expectation is there. It's, you know, it's an inherent expectation that's not fair to others. So. You know, write down your notes, put it somewhere that, okay, Monday, fair game, go for it. But don't disturb a nice, quiet Sunday for somebody like, oh, Mike has something else that he wants me to think about. Totally. Well, and as a bonus life hack, we're not talking about life hacks this week, but you can set your email if you sort of have like an Outlook or one of the more sophisticated email programs. You can set it, you can still write your email and send it. You can send it not until like eight o'clock on Monday or maybe 8.15 to give people a chance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are ways that it can be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, the last article, the one that you have on competency, let's let's talk about that one. That's really fascinating. Let's talk about it. Okay. So um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the whole premise behind this article, but I do like the information. So the actual uh, name of the article is The Reason Behind the Great Resignation That No One Is Talking About. This is from uh, our good friends TLNT, which stands for what, Mike? Talent. <laughs> talent. Talent. Christy McCann Flynn from September 16th, 2021. So uh, basically what she, what Christy is saying is uh, that the great resignation is a result of our employers wanting to replace employees rather than develop them. She doesn't cite any sources about why she thinks this, you know, ha- where she got this premise that this is what's fueling the great resignation. So I just want to put that out there right away because it stood out to me. Uh, but I think the the information that the rest of it, her premise is really good. So she's basically saying, like I just said, companies would rather replace employees rather than develop them. And I did kind of say to myself, like, is this true? You know, are we actually getting rid of people instead of developing them? 
and I think this really goes hand in hand with um, the last podcast when we talked about, you know, developing those meets expectations employees. And so I was like, well, yeah, sometimes you're like, well, you know, I could, I could stand to lose these meets expectations employees and just focus on my stars. So I thought there was an interesting correlation there. Uh, but there is some data here. So um, from Forbes, there was a survey that found that 50% of staff are dissatisfied with learning and development in their organizations. And I would say that that, I mean, I don't think it's quite that low from what we see in our employee engagement surveys, but definitely this is a consistent sticking point. You know, you know, we have questions like, you know, I believe that the company is interested in developing me. And I, I think that the money and time they give me to um, do personal development is adequate. And often this is an area that gets failing grades in our surveys. So it's consistently a sticking point for people. So what the author is saying is that uh, outdated approaches and big software solutions aren't magic bullets and that we need to invest in employees rather than software. So and I was like, well, I don't know. Software is good, too. Uh, but what she's saying is that, you know, soft skills are what we say. Soft skills and emotional intelligence are increasingly important. And that's not something that can necessarily be taught with software. I mean, it's a touchy-feely thing, for better or for worse. Uh, and it's it can't just sort of be a one-way absorbing kind of an experience for people. Another thing she talks about, and we, t- we sort of touched on this a tiny bit earlier, is uh, you can't assume that because your team pulled together during COVID, that you, you don't have to focus on development and coaching, you know, just because everybody made it doesn't mean it's like, well, you know, development's not important. Look how happy everybody was. People still want to be developed and still want to reach their full potential, whether it's with you or it's with somebody else. So the author gives some tips on how to get started. Uh, and the first is doing a data analysis. And I, this is always so important figuring out what skill gaps actually exist in your organizations so that you can set strategy and approach. You know, it's such a, a huge undertaking to put any kind of learning development together in-house. So, or even if you're purchasing it, it's expensive. So what to, what skill gaps actually do exist? You know, and if you have employees that are at different levels of learning, um, you know, say you have technicians, uh, vet assistants who come in and, you know, they all say it's an equine vet practice. They can all handle horses okay, but you might they might have been there for a year and a half now during COVID. And it's, well, some of them didn't get the chance to, do enough x-rays to be comfortable. Whereas at this other other location, they did tons of x-rays, but they didn't do a lot of teeth or whatever. So, you know, we have to make sure that we're meeting people's needs with an effective approach and not just assuming that people, we know what people need. And then the second thing that they say is that generationally appropriate learning approaches are basically stupid. So it's called persona learning. It's much easier for me to say than generationally appropriate. Uh, but persona learning, so it's basically tailoring the learning experience to the age and profile of the consumer. Uh, and what she says is, you know, people don't want to learn via TikTok. They want, just because we assume that TikTok is something that the, quote, young people like, uh, you know, they want actually want personalized coaching development to help them grow and, and level up. You know, and I, I, was, I was just thinking about all the social media platforms of times past, you know, like Vine and all of these things that we might have thought about using, and you know, even Snapchat, which I, I don't think is such a big deal anymore. Uh, you know, and imagine if we've, we invested all this time into learning via those things, and then they're sort of not used anymore. You know, we need to offer a wide variety of coaching and development opportunities to help employees find their learning style. 
I, I will be the first to admit as a former, you know, manager of a practice, a smaller location of a bigger practice, trying to, to tailor your learning and development to each individual is an onerous task. So I'm not going to minimize the fact that that exists, you know, it'd be wonderful if everybody learned the same way, but the reality is that everybody doesn't. But I think, you know, it underlines the importance of talking to people and seeing what they need and seeing how they learn and then seeing how we can, you know, find commonalities and develop programs that work for everybody. It's very important. I've been talking. Do you have anything to say? No, I know we have talked before. I know when we present on what's really in a great uh, human resource program is Mm -hmm. staff training is such a critical part because when it's not done well, it. It, it's not fair to the people because you don't see, you, you, they don't know what is expected of them. Yep. They're floundering. It's expensive because they make mistakes. Uh, and we, we so typically is when we hire somebody and I'm, we're guilty of this, in my own practice, not as bad as we has been, but uh, is just throwing them in the deep end of the pool. Like we, we need help now. And they just learn on the job and, and, it's bad for customer service because not everybody's consistent in their approach. People get frustrated. The vets get frustrated because uh, support staff maybe not, you know, is not up to speed or what they're expecting. So it's taking the extra time. I mean, just we harp on this a lot of just taking the time to do things right will pay for it in the long run. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking back to, you know, certain people that have been hired at certain places where, you hire them and you think they're going to be great. And then you're like, oh, they're not picking up on things as quickly as we'd like. And in the past, you might have been like, well, just get rid of them, get somebody else in. But I think what we've been doing is trying to, to turn it back on us and saying, okay, well, where did we fail in training this person? Yeah. Again, again and again, is this a training issue or is this a motivation issue? You know, I can, I can think of a couple of examples where, you know, the person who initially were like, oh, just get rid of them has turned out to be, you know, a long-term, really, really useful, really, really skilled employee. Once you say, okay, well, no, let's take a step back and see where we failed. So I think that it's a huge um, realization that needs to be made. So just a couple more here. And this is sort of uh, in that vein of being careful with technology. So there are a plethora of really, really wonderful online learning uh, platforms and programs that are out there. And in vet medicine, you know, there's sort of canned off the shelf learning programs that you can subscribe to for a year and all your staff can pick from all these programs. And I think that all of them are are really interesting and they definitely have a place in training, but I'm not sure. And, and the author isn't sure that they should take the, the place of human element of having, you know, deep, looking in someone's eyes and saying, do you understand this and show me and let's do it together. Um, there's only so far that uh, online learning can go. Uh, not to disparage it at all, because I think it it's, has excellent it has excellent potential. It definitely has a place, but I don't know. You know, if I looked at you know how to put together an endoscope online, and then somebody gave me one in pieces, there is absolutely no way I'd be able to figure it out myself without pain and tears, especially on the spot. So I think remembering that it's not just one size fits all or one way fits all. It uh, and and not the same it has to be updated. for everybody either. Yes, that's a great point. Because some things like. It's it's so easy to us. You're like, why can't everybody do this? And it's just like, you know, there's some things I just struggle with. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this is really important too, you know, thinking about inclusivity and taking into account that people have different ways of learning and they have take different time. And just because somebody takes a less time than you doesn't mean they're dumb. 
you know, they're just, they're just learning a different way and that's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's definitely something I think it's a premise that we often have in event med is if people can't pick up on it right away, then they have to go. But uh, I don't think that that's the right long-term way to think about things. 100%. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks. Hmm. So what we haven't done for a while are winner, wins and fails. So, mm-hmm. um, you've been chatting for a while, so I'll let you rest your voice and okay. talk about my wins and fail. And it's sort of the, 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 it's the same subject, wins and fails. So one of the things I find really frustrating, and let me preface this, as a business owner and as a veterinarian, particularly, let's start from the veterinarian point of view, we know how dangerous assumptions can be. Right. So, you know, an animal comes in, we look at it and we sort of formulate in our minds what it is, but we have great diagnostic tools to sort of validate our assumptions or prove our assumptions wrong. So we'll send out for testing, we'll do imaging, what have you. What makes a successful veterinarian is very similar to what makes a successful business person. And that is you seek the truth. And if something is contrary to what you believe, but the data dictates that's where you go, you go there and you change your belief system. That's what I think is being a good business owner is. So I bring that up because um, in the United States and Canada, there's been a lot of government assistance for workers who have been laid off or unable to find work for whatever reasons during the pandemic. And the mentality has been for the longest time, well, people don't want to come to work because they're being paid by the government. So great assumption, you know, and and it's hard to fault that assumption. Yet many states uh, in the United States have ended uh, this government subsidy in, in the summer because they thought, well, if we end the subsidy, it'll get people back to work. What? the data has shown is there's minimal, like, I mean, very minimal change in people entering the workforce again. Mm-hmm. And so yet this data is out there. It's known yet people still pull back and go, well, we can't hire people because government's paying for them to stay at home. And instead of, you know, as you just talked about with training and development, looking at your business and going, what is it about us that people yeah. don't want to work at? Uh, they want to blame somebody else. And so my fail is, are, are the business owners, the politicians, the rabble-rousers, whoever it is, who are still going out there and still saying, well, the government subsidies are keeping people at home. And as soon as those subsidies are over, people will come back to work. To me, it's, it's that mindset of like, well, it was good enough to pay them crappy wages before, in yeah. a crappy work environment. I don't want to change how I do business. And so my win are those people who are like, you know what? This world has changed. What happened before is not going to apply in the future. We need to change our businesses to attract people and not find excuses why people don't want to work for our businesses. So that's my win and fail on the same subject. Good combo pack. Good soapbox. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stepping off. It's your time. Okay. Well, I have a bit of a soapbox too. And I also have a combo pack win and fail. Not as maybe not as impassioned as you. So uh, this just happened this morning. So as I woke up early, like I always do, flipping through Twitter, uh, uh, today, Ontario, our province that we live in up here in Canada, announced that the minimum wage is going up almost 10% to $15 from $14.35. And this is as of January 1st, 2022. So really soon. Uh, And this was above 
very high above what the original plan was. They sort of had a stepped plan where it would go up, you know, 25 or 30 cents in 2022, not sort of the 65 or almost 10%. Uh, so, I mean, on the surface, I think that it's, it's a win, you know, because, uh, it could motivate low paying employers who maybe don't pay right at minimum wage, but are sort of in that the lower echelon of wages to bump up all their wages, knowing that minimum wage went up. But this is all tempered to me by the fact that if you look at living wages in various places in Ontario, which I did this morning, which were just updated in November, 2021, like yesterday, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if this was, maybe that was on purpose. Um, the lowest calculated living wage for as of November, 2021 in Ontario that they found is 1650 and the highest is 2208. None of them are at $50 or below. So while, you know, 50, I think that uh, any increase in minimum wage is a positive thing. It's, it's particularly from an employee perspective. I think that it's still, you know, we have to be realistic about what it takes to actually, you know, live and survive in Ontario and really everywhere. Yeah, no, I saw that too. And um, my else, I was also, my, I was a bit cynical because um, there's also an election. Election, yeah. So, it, when the same exactly. party canceled this uh, planned yeah. minimum yeah. wage increase, and also it's like, oh yeah, we got to do this. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the cynicism is absolutely warranted. I think any wage increase for low-income workers is a wonderful thing. Hundred uh, percent. But too, I was like, really, uh, this government. You know, well, it must be an election, sure enough. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's a good one. And yeah, I've been looking at those. Uh, um, I want to analyze those living wages a bit more in depth to sort of see where my own uh, veterinary practice is in relation to the the different jurisdictions. I'll make sure that we link the the latest stats so that folks can have a look if they're interested. Yeah, great. All right. Well, thanks, Katie. Thanks, Michael. That was wonderful. Till next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.